Hey folks, welcome to Bad GM's Campaign Build Along. As always, I'm the Bad GM, Wayne Davis. For those who haven't joined us before, this is the show where we build an entire campaign for you and we do it from scratch. What that means is we build the entire thing. We pick a system to use, we create a setting, which includes putting together a basic government with leaders, a couple of cities, and some possible plot point stuff to use down the line. We build a couple of sample characters to get those of you who aren't so familiar with the rules as familiar as we can with the rules as possible. Well, I think you get the idea. Anyway, this season we're building our campaign using the most popular game on planet Earth at this point in time. It's Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. So, for those of you that have followed us for the previous two seasons, this is where I have to drop in this disclaimer. All materials utilized on this show are done so under the guidelines of the Open Game License and System Reference Document from Wizards of the Coast and are utilized on this show for entertainment purposes only. If you're interested in checking out all of the products in the D&D 5th Edition line, head over to your local game or bookshop after you check out today's build. And for those who don't know why I do that, well, this season there are actually two reasons. With D&D running under an open game license, I don't have to pay any sort of fee to utilize their intellectual property. But to play it safe, I am making sure I acknowledge their OGL and SRD, so I'll be reading that actually at the end of pretty much every episode. And insofar as plugging their stuff, I guess I don't actually have to do that every week, so never mind. Anyway, moving on. I did want to address the elephant in the room for our longtime listeners, and that's the new theme music. I decided to change things up for the new season, and the credit for this will be given when we do the wrap-up at the end of the show. There is also a new background for the YouTube version, and it will debut next week when this episode runs on the Bad GM YouTube channel. There is also a format change for this season. For the previous two seasons, shortly after we've started building the campaign, I've been running what we've built for my group. And for those who are curious about what that group of miscreants looks like, you can check out our ugly mugs over on the Bad GM Productions website. That's badgmproductions.net. This season, I have stepped aside for a bit from running since I've been running games practically nonstop for about five years and I kind of need a break. So we will be building, but there will not be a section of the show to provide feedback on how it plays. However, that does present us with an opportunity. If you decide you want to run what we're building, I am willing to extend this offer to your group. If you are willing to provide your notes from your game night to me, I will provide the report to our listeners. Obviously, I will give the credit to you and your entire game group. That's if you're interested. Hit me up on the website or hit me up by email. Hit me up on any of the socials. We can work out the details. That being said, if nobody is interested, I am cool with that. That just means we have more time to build. And since a whole lot of last season's episodes turned out to be way too short, I think more build time can only be a positive thing so long as I get off my butt and make sure I actually use it properly. Okay, so I think I've gotten all of the opening BS out of the way. I'm sure I will come up with something I missed when I go to edit this later on. So if that's the case, we will get into it next week. That means it is time to build. Okay, so as we begin this build, I do not have a name for the continent. I do not have a name for the country. We will get to that as we continue the build in the coming weeks. It's really okay. We don't have to have it right now. What we are going to get into this week is the history of the area and some basic background. And obviously, we're going to continue to expand on that during the introductory episodes and 
We're going to expand on that throughout the season. For me, it's not important to have all of that down before we start episode one. It's something that if you've been following me all along, I think it's been one of my issues. I've been so worried about having all of this nailed down before we start. I've painted myself into a corner. So we're going to try this season to be a little more flexible. Have a little bit of the overview done. We're going to to really focus down on the stuff we need when we start. And we'll fill in some of the rest of the blanks a little later on. So our entire continent is under the rule of a single entity who holds the title of emperor. And as you'd expect with somebody with that title, he is an overbearing dictatorial ruler and he rules with an iron fist. He has ruled for the past 50 years and he's only the most recent in a six generation line of emperors. This line is run for 300 years and they have all been overbearing and dictatorial from the giddy up. Prior to this family taking over, the continent had consisted of a dozen different provinces or city states or whatever we want to call them. Once the first emperor took over, he consolidated those provinces into three large ones, though he separated the capital into a quasi province of its own in the center of the continent. That first emperor also gave a province to each of his three sons, along with a title designating their power and control, though it was obvious that he was the ultimate power in the land. The emperor himself kept direct control over and still keeps direct control over the capital. Each emperor that has followed the first has had at least three sons, though through various machinations, only three have run provinces. And one thing has managed to hold true through the generations. Each emperor and all the sons are sadists, and each generation seems to be more sadistic than the one that came before it. Now, let's break this down a bit more. In addition to their titles, the sons of the emperor also serve in the field as generals. While that doesn't sound like the fanciest of titles, they are the only generals in the army. Ergo, there's nobody that could possibly outrank them. This also gives us a lot of latitude in creating other officers as we build these armies moving forward. And we will be building these armies as we go along later on. And I'm sure you're wondering why there are armies in the field. There are multiple reasons. And while we'll get to the primary reason momentarily, for now we'll note that the overall reason is that their stated mission is to maintain order and to ensure supplies make their way to the capital. And yes, there's a heck of a lot more to that than the phrase would indicate. Let's get one more set of thoughts in on the current emperor before we move along on this part of the build. And this doesn't mean we're finished building out the emperor. It just means we're done putting the basic framework up for now. This emperor, in addition to being a fascist dictator, is also a racist and a xenophobe. He has demanded that all members of the military are required to be human. All members of the court are required to be human. And all members of the royal family are required to be human, which of course means that any potential wives for sons of the emperor must be human, which provides for some potentially interesting storylines for the campaign if we would choose to go that way. Now we'll dive back into some of this stuff a bit down the line, but for now let's get into more of the racial makeup of the continent and how they're treated. A large majority of non-humans are kept as slaves in the large cities. 
Some of these situations are obvious. They're used as house servants, yard work, or in the fields. Other times, the slavery is a bit less obvious as they're used to run shops and other businesses for their owners, though they're carefully but inconspicuously overseen by their owners, and their owners are always humans. There are some free non-humans on the continent, but they live in small settlements located primarily in the forests scattered around the continent or on the small islands off the coast. These communities tend to be very poor and have a hand-to-mouth existence. That being said, the majority of free humans don't have it made in the shade, as it were. I mean, sure, those in the royal family and those in the rural court live the lavish lifestyle. So do those who own and run the major businesses, forges, and mines. That also applies to the fisheries and shipping lines. Everyone else? Well, there are those who have some money, and there are those who own a store or maybe have a tavern or an inn or something. Maybe they have a successful farm, or they've been a successful adventurer, or a weapon for hire for the emperor. They're not wealthy, but they're not worried about where they're going to sleep tonight or where their next meal is coming from. But nearly 50% of the humans out there live in poverty or near poverty. These are the day workers, the substance farmers, the miners, the folks who have absolutely nothing. Rank and file soldiers are a category all their own. They have their armor and weapons, three hots and a cot, and a tent to sleep in. But otherwise, they don't have much else. So while they're technically poor, they're taken care of. So you couldn't technically say they're in poverty. But since they can leave if they choose to, you couldn't call them slaves. And they can leave so long as they leave from camp and they've informed a superior officer. However, they must leave their weapons and armor behind. Leaving, though, would put them in the lower class, which is where most of them were when they entered the army anyway, so most soldiers choose not to leave. All right, let's talk about magic. Magic is absolutely banned. Anyone caught using magic by officials of the state is subject to death on sight. No exception. All right, all right, well, that's that's not entirely true. I mean, as you'd expect, there are a few out there that can get away with using magic. They are, of course, in the emperor's personal court, and he's the only one who is aware of their abilities. And since these individuals very rarely, if ever, use their magical abilities outside of the castle, the general public isn't aware of it, so this wouldn't come into play. Now, there are also those who've managed to find a way to get around the ban on magic. Artificers have begun to pop up over the past 50 years or so, and while there aren't a lot of them, those that do exist have been able to pass their magical devices off as scientific advancements. And while the crown seems to be a bit wary, for now, artificers have been allowed to practice, so long as they pay 50 gold pieces for a license. Divine magics are allowed. Sort of. Healing magics and blessings, which are believed to be gifts from the gods, are not only allowed, but they're welcomed. Anything else is frowned upon, and if witnessed by the wrong person, could see the offender dragged in front of an inquisitor for questioning. And most questioning tends to lead to retraining. We'll talk about retraining in another time, but I can assure you it isn't good, and that most people who are retrained don't survive it. Oh, and the whole reason why the whole gifts from the gods thing works as a reason for healing magic and blessings is because for all of the negative things about the emperor, 
for some reason, he's decided in this case, he wants to play nice. I'm still working out the reasoning for this. So if you've got a good idea, hit me up with it. Otherwise, we're just going to flesh that out as we go along. So if magic's outlawed, but artificers are okay, what items are out there? Look, let's be honest. Artificers are very careful about the items they create. For very trusted family and friends, they'll make some healing. They'll get in that armor and weapon type category. But for people they're unsure of, it's going to be cutesy items. It's mostly flash, but no impact like child's toys. Obviously, potions, wands, scrolls, weapons, arms, those don't exist in the mainstream. Banned is banned. And I say in the mainstream, because I'm going to leave us a little leeway to put some stuff in during adventuring, since I'm sure we're going to have some ancient ruins or some dungeon-type adventuring going on. And these are going to be places we could put some of these type of items to help our group. For everyday applications, though, they're just not going to be available. And of course, there's going to be a few other exceptions. But again, those are things that will come up later on as we build. I'm going to also note, Ray's Dead is going to exist. But it's going to be so rare that it's something that very few caster types are going to even know. So it's going to be something that would only be used in exceptional cases. So the dead individual is going to have to be somebody of such great importance for a caster to even consider using it. I'm thinking we're going to probably have to modify the spell a bit to make it higher level and a higher cost to cast to reflect this. So let me think on this before we get any further into the details. I also know that there are some out there that are going to ask about druids, warlocks, sorcerers, and the like. They exist as NPCs. They're going to be fairly rare. And I mean, technically, these types of magic are also illegal, but probably going to allow them for PCs. We're going to do character creation as the episode next week. Let me think on it. We'll get back to it then. Let's zoom back out. Let's look big picture. I mentioned earlier that 12 provinces were combined into three provinces with the capital being a de facto fourth. When that happened, the dozens of towns and cities that had dotted the provinces previously were basically consolidated for their protection. That means that each province has three megacities. One near the coast, one near the capital, and one near the largest forest in the province. The capital itself expanded to encompass the large mountain range in the center of the continent that it now uses as protection. The emperor has posted troops at strategic posts to watch for potential attacks, though nothing's come through in two generations. There have also been three passes cut through the mountains themselves, one to each of the three megacities closest to it. Now, one weakness the emperor does have is that he has no navy. There is another continent on this planet, and rumors are that the two continents once had relations with one another. But once the first emperor took over, their relations ended. That's why these small island countries, for lack of a better word, have been allowed to exist. Now, I'll grant you that these small country types have been forced to get rather creative since their ability to get to the mainland is rather limited due to the army keeping a very close eye on the coasts but on these islands themselves the people have been left alone so we've come up with some background on our country but we need an actual country to use as we lay things out and by that i mean we need a map or at least something drawn out that gives us a basic idea of where the major cities are 
where the mountain ranges and large forests are, and where these islands we've been talking about are, so that we've got at least a basic working idea as we continue to build in the coming weeks. This is something I've had issues with in the past, as those who followed me in the previous two seasons of the show have noticed, especially in season one. I am not known for my expert Mac making skills. In fact, my friend Jim, who is one of my players in my home game and the other GM in that game, likes to give me crap about how my maps look, especially when compared to the detail of his maps. Needless to say, I'm still going to give it the old college try here, and I'm going to ask Gabe to post the map I'm going to use for our show on the website. He may not have it up in time for this episode, so if it's not there when this show drops, I'll put an alert out on the socials when he lets me know it's available. Hey, the kid's got a full-time job plus classes he takes. He works hard, so I cut him a lot of slack. Website is badgmproductions.net. You can check it as soon as this episode's done. I'm pretty sure he's going to have it there, though. For the purposes of setting things up at the moment, the approximate number we need are that our landmass is roughly 320 miles by 420 miles, which gives us, what, 134,400 square miles of real estate to work with. I'll grant you it's not that large of a continent since the North American continent checks in at around 9.4 million square miles. But the larger the continent, the more we have to work with trying to fill in later on. And the more I have to work with, the more I have to screw up. So I'd rather work smaller. Thank you very much. And trust me, there's going to be a decent amount of subterranean work going on. So the overall amount of space being used will be much more than this before everything's said and done. I'm also not going to do a lot of detail work on it right now, mostly because I don't have a lot of that detail work fleshed out at the moment. And I don't want to lock stuff in that we have to change later. What I do want to do is draw your attention to the way we've got things laid out. Now, the dotted lines on the map obviously don't exist in reality. They're there to give you the approximate layout of the three provinces. The three circles in each of those provinces are the locations of the megacities. And the three kind of jacked up circles are the forests. You can see the mountain ranges with the circle that's in the center, and that's the capital. You can also see the islands around the edges of the map, and we'll bring those into play later on. Those are the islands. And as noted in the lower right-hand corner, one square on the map equals 10 miles. And we'll go from that note, that right-hand note in the corner. That'll be south. North goes from there, east and west, because I, I forgot to put a north, south, east, west. Whoops, that's on me. For this week, let's set that map off to the side. We'll get back to it in two weeks when we do a full build out on the continent as a whole. Or more to the point, I think we're going to go islands. But anyway, that's when we're going to start putting color and flavor into our world in the build up to actually getting the adventure kicked off. That's going to leave us with the races of our game. You know what? Actually, I need to get to something first because I said earlier we were going to get to the primary reason the armies are in the field. And I realized I forgot to do that. The primary reason we have armies in the field is because there have been multiple insurrections that have gone on over the years, which has made the emperors paranoid and they keep full armies in the field at all times to suppress them. Okay, we're going to get to that in further detail later on, but I said I was going to mention it and I keep forgetting in the past when I say we're going to get to those later and we don't do it. So mention that now we will expand on that further later. All right, so let's talk about the races of our game. Obviously, humans are going to be the dominant race on the continent. That has been discussed throughout this build, especially when I was laying out the haves and the have-nots. 
In fact, they are going to probably be the only race most people will ever see. Now, that being said, there are going to be some half elves seen from time to time, though those are going to mostly be slaves. And that will be for the reason that while some humans will mate with elves from time to time, they're not going to claim their offspring. And we'll get into the why the elves will not be claiming them momentarily. So those poor folks either have to wander the earth alone, find their way onto one of the islands, or as what happens more often than not, wind up being captured and being sold into slavery. Since we just talked about the half-elf, let's talk about elves. We drew those big forests on the map, and that's where you're going to find them. Now, one thing does need to be noted. There used to be a lot more elves, and their declining numbers are directly tied to the fact that the forests have been growing smaller over the years due to increased deforestation. Those who remain resist the continued attempts to remove their natural resources, and they do so in a fanatical way. They have a near hatred for humans, since it is the humans who are responsible for the loss of their homelands. They also know the emperors have been humans, and the emperors are the reasons they've been unable to live life anywhere but the forest for generations. Occasionally, they can be found outside the forest, but if they are, they have been shunned by their families for transgressions and are not welcome back inside the forest. These days, you'll only find the dwarves inside the mountains that surround the capital. That explains why the emperor keeps so many troops stationed there for the most part. The dwarves don't seem to care since they have no need to leave. They get everything they need from Mother Earth and have no desire to interact with the world outside the mountain. It's not that they dislike humans, elves, or any of the other races. It's just the last few times they've gotten involved with them, things haven't gone very well. In fact, if humans fleeing persecution make their way into the mountain and find a dwarven clan, the clan will take them in and protect them. Halflings and gnomes are a part of the world, but they don't tend to have a permanent home. They are the wanderers of the world. Now, there are rumors that they have small settlements along the coasts, away from the larger cities and away from the prying eyes, but nobody's been able to prove this. However, if you go to the islands, you'll find them living as a part of the communities there. They love being in the company of others and have made it a point to be the glue uniting as many different races as possible. Half-orcs are a rarity in this world. Since orcs are also very rare, the chances of finding a half-orc are even rarer, so we're not going to comment on them here. Also, since for the purposes of our build, we're sticking primarily to the races in the player's handbook, we're not going to get into too many of the other races. I also realize I'm leaving a couple of other races from the player's handbook out here at the moment, and we're going to get into that in two weeks when we expand on our build. I do have a reason for it, but I'm really just doing a basic layout this week, and we will fill in some more details at that time. All right, so I know I'm not hitting the full half hour this week. I've got two reasons for that. One, I really just wanted to get a few of the basics on the build out of the way so we get just those ideas because two weeks we're going to really expand. The reason I say two weeks is because next week we're going to get into character building, which I realize sounds weird since we're going to be building characters before we finish building the campaign itself. I have a reason for it. We'll get into it next week. Reason two, you guys know, like last week, my voice sounded like garbage. Still sounds like garbage. I'm like taking drinks like every other line. You wouldn't know it because of the editing, but it's been rough. So I'm trying to save my voice. I'm really hoping to be better next week. So there you go. Uh, in the meantime, I'd suggest you check out our other show, Role Playing History. This week, we're doing a deep dive on the Dying Earth role-playing game, as well as Green Ronin's True 20 game system. 
Role-playing history is available wherever you get your podcast or from our website, badgeandproductions.net. And I'm going to tell you what, if you want to know about the game Jim is running our group through that we are not building here, that is taking up that slot that would normally be used with a game recap, it's going to actually be in next week's role-playing history episode. It's going to be the topic. That game is called Masks. The theme music for this season of Bad GM's campaign build-along is Savage by Alex-Productions on sound.eu slash and is available on pixabay.com. Check out the info box for this episode for the full credit listing. Bad GM's campaign build-along is a production of Bad GM Productions. We've got a presence all over social media, so check out the info box for this episode or our website to see where you can follow us. And make sure you check it out because that's where I post updates when new episodes are going to drop, as well as when I'm dropping special episodes or when new things are happening with the shows or when we're making appearances near you. Next week, we get into the character building process, so make sure you join us. And if you got the time, you might want to get familiar with D&D Beyond. That's next time, though. Until then, I'm the bad GM Wayne Davis, and you can bet I'll see you at the game table.